Please be seated and welcome to Christ the King, whether in person, online, or on the lawn. We have two introductions at the beginning of Mark's Gospel. That'll be our preaching passage for this morning. We're first, we are introduced to the good news of Jesus Christ. And secondly, we're introduced to the ministry of John. That's in verse 4. John the Baptist appeared. I have one goal in this message this morning, and that is I want to draw our attention to the differences between the ministries of John the Baptist and the ministry and the Gospel of of Jesus Christ. They are different messages, different ministries with different impact. The ministry and message of John the Baptist is good news. The ministry and message of Jesus Christ is great news. And this morning I want to remind us by drawing a distinction between the two of not just the good news, but the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To do this, we'll address three questions. First is, who was John the Baptist? Secondly, We'll consider what was missing in his message. You note uh, in your sermon notes, which are included in uh, the service leaflet, page 11, Jesus said of John the Baptist that there's none greater than him, but even he is the least in the kingdom of heaven. So there's something, as good as his message was, there was something lacking. We'll look at what was lacking in his ministry. And third, we'll look at how the gospel of Jesus Christ is different from the ministry of John the Baptist. So, first question, who was John the Baptist? Let's look at our text. Uh, in short, John was a prophet and the greatest of all prophets, according to Jesus, the greatest of those born of women. Let's look at his clothing. He wore the clothes that a prophet wore. Notice our gospel reading draws attention to the fact that his clothing, he wore camel's hair and a belt of leather. Why the attention to his apparel? Well, it just so happens that one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, a prophet by the name of Elijah, wore exactly the same dress. We're introduced to him in 2 Kings, and Elijah the prophet is introduced as a man who was wearing a hairy jacket and a belt of leather. John the Baptist wore the type of clothes that the prophets wear. Further, John the Baptist said the type of things that the prophets said. Now, this is the second Sunday of Advent in a liturgical church like ours. It is a tradition to focus on the ministry of the prophets. And again, John the Baptist is sort of the preeminent, uh, uh, the preeminent prophet. And so what did uh, John the Baptist said the type of things that the prophets said? Now, there are roughly 18 prophetic books in the Old Testament. That's almost half of the books of the Old Testament. They're written over a series of hundreds of years. So any summary statement is bound to oversimplify. That being said, there is a consistent message of the prophets. And that is that the prophets, the prophets called God's people to repentance in the face of coming judgment. Again, 18 different books, uh, more, more than that number of prophets. So obviously some nuance and some difference between their messages. That's a very common theme. Repentance in the face of God's coming judgment. So uh, two examples from Amos. He's an Old Testament prophet. In Amos chapter 5, the prophet Amos writes, O you who ignore justice and cast down righteousness, seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire upon the house of Joseph and devour it. Do you hear the themes? 
God's coming judgment and repent in the face of God's coming judgment. Or again from Isaiah, woe to you who buy field after field. In other words, keep on buying stuff and more stuff, bigger houses, bigger houses. Woe to you who run after strong drink and you do not regard the Lord. Therefore, my people will go into exile. They will go hungry and be parched with thirst. Same basic message. Because you have not repented, uh, you will now face God's coming judgment. And John the Baptist, the the last and the greatest of the prophets says basically the same message. Repent in the face of God's coming judgment. We have more of his message in the other gospels. Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel. Give us a little more color to John the Baptist's message. So in Matthew's gospel, we read this. Even now the ax is laid at the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down, thrown into the fire. Why? Because someone is coming who is mightier than me. He will baptize you with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will gather the wheat but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Do you hear the themes again of God's coming judgment and necessity bearing fruit with repentance in the face of God's coming judgment? So John the Baptist is well within the banks of the river of Old Testament prophecy when he says, God is coming, repent. He said the type of things the prophets said. Finally, he does the type of things that the prophets did. The prophets Many of the Old Testament prophets used symbolic gestures to emphasize their message. If you know something, they, they did things that just didn't make sense from any uh, observer's perspective. So Hosea, the prophet, married an unfaithful woman uh, to emphasize God's love for unfaithful people. It's a, it's a symbolic act. Jeremiah bought a field in the middle of a siege. Again, a symbolic act. And John does a symbolic act as well. He baptized people in the river Jordan, a symbolic act, washing them outwardly as they repented inwardly. So to my first question, who is John the Baptist? He is a prophet. He is not only a prophet, he is the iconic prophet. He wears the type of things that prophets wore. He said the type of things that prophets said. He did the type of things that prophets did. He is the last of the prophets, and according to Jesus, he is the greatest of the prophets. Yet even though he is the greatest of all prophets, Jesus' assessment of him is that he is the least in the kingdom of heaven. So I want to move to point two. I want to consider with you what his message lacked. What was lacking in the message, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I note two things that are lacking. Number one, long-term impact. Note in our passage, John's assessment of his ministry in verse eight is that he will baptize you with water, but there is another coming who will baptize you. In our passage, it says with the Holy Spirit. In other passages, it says Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's the word I wanna focus on with you. Uh, the distinction between baptism with water and baptism with fire. You see, the difference is one has a long-term impact, the other has a short-term impact. Wash something with water and it will get dirty again and it will get dirty quickly. There's a reason that the prophets repeated their message time and time again. Repent, repent, repent. Because God's people kept on needing to repent, repent, repent. There's a reason that John washed his people in the River Jordan because they kept on getting dirty. Now there's a big difference between washing with water and being burnt with fire. Put something in, the, in fire and you change it. Put a stick of wood in the fire and you get ash. You change it irrevocably. You cannot, you can get ash from wood, but you cannot get wood from ash. 
It's been changed. And so there's a distinction of impact. The ministry of John has a short-term impact. The ministry of Jesus has a long-term impact. I just want to put ourselves in the position of these multitudes of people who came out listening, heeding the call of the Baptist. Repent. Turn away. I bet there were people just like you and me. I bet there were people who thought when they heard that call for repentance, they thought, yes, I, I, I need to repent. They felt that conviction that we believe is a conviction of the Holy Spirit. And they thought, I have to turn away, maybe from big things, maybe from little things. But my question is, how long do you think that repentance lasted? How long do you think they stayed clean? I wonder if you can resonate what I imagine is, I wonder if you can resonate with what I imagine is their experience. A moment of conviction, burdened by what you've done, convicted and repentant, and you say something like, I'll never do that again, only to find within a week or two you've done the very thing that you vowed that you would never do again. The repentance is short-lived. John's message of repentance was lacking effectiveness because we are defective. We may get washed in the waters of repentance, but it doesn't take too long to get dirty. And when we do get dirty, we either have to go back to those waters of repentance or we begin to hide our dirt. I'm reminded of a cartoon from the New Yorker magazine when the husband is holding the wife's hand and the husband says, I can't promise that I'll change, but I'll promise I'll pretend to change. That's your choice. Either hide the dirt or repent again. Long-term impact. Second distinction, second thing lacking in John's ministry is assurance. In other words, if you and I need to repent in order to prepare for God's coming, how much repentance is necessary? How thorough, how sincere, how heartfelt does your repentance need to be? That's a worthy question, isn't it? Let me tell a little story by illustration about myself. I've grown up in this type of church since, uh, since I was born. And I was, when I was about seven years old or eight years old, I began receiving communion, as some of our young worshipers do here. And I decided in our service, and, and when I received communion, obviously it's a very special moment in the life of our church. Uh, there's a very holy moment when we are meeting with God. I decided that I needed to, to the best of my ability, remain sin-free, from between the confession of sin, when we repented, and receiving communion. So think about our service. Uh, following my sermon, we're going to say some prayers, and then we'll have a confession of sin. We're going to repent. And then there'll be some announcements, communion, and about 10 minutes later, after that confession, we're going to come receive communion. And my goal was stay sin-free. No one told me this, by the way. This is my own impulse. Stay sin-free for 10 minutes. Now, I don't want to dismiss that idea. I think it's a good and noble thing for us to try to live a life that pleases God. Don't, please don't mishear me. I just want to suggest that that is an absolutely impossible goal, to stay sin-free. Try not to think bad thoughts for the next 10 minutes, and you know what you'll find yourself thinking? Bad thoughts. As a young boy, I remember thinking, 
Don't think anything bad. Boy, the service is going long. I shouldn't be thinking about that. Right? I mean, you made yourself a l potentially neurotic. First of all, it's sec it doesn't work. Secondly, it's just bad theology. It's just a bad understanding of God. You see, in my eight-year-old little mind, I thought I had needed to get myself right, to get myself pure, to get myself in a, some sort of state of grace in order to meet with or be with or be blessed by God. My understanding of the Christian faith stopped with the ministry of John the Baptist, which was repent, get ready to meet with God. But the summons of John the Baptist, the call to repentance, is not the same thing as the good news of Jesus Christ. There is a big difference. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that while we were yet sinners, not when we were repentant sinners, not when we were reforming sinners, while we were yet sinners, Jesus bore my sin, your sin, in his body on the cross. Uh, he endured hell, paid our debt, reconciled us to the Father, won eternal life when you and I were just flat out sinners. Not repentant, not reformed, while you were yet a sinner. And again, the call to repentance from John the Baptist is good. We all need to hear it. It is good to have moments of conviction that lead to repentance, but there is a big difference between the good news of Jesus Christ, who died for sinners, and the call of John the Baptist for sin, those same sinners to repent. So I move to my third point. What does the gospel of Jesus Christ provide that the ministry of John the Baptist lacked? Number one, it provides full assurance. If your standing before God depends on something you do, you're on shaky ground. Whatever that is, being good enough, being holy enough, being a Christian enough, being repentant enough, if your standing before God depends upon something you do, you and I are on, we have no reason for confidence, zero. But the gospel is good news about something done for you. The gospel is simply news that you can either receive or ignore. It is not as a command for you to respond to. And the good news uh, leads to assurance. Your standing before God does not depend upon the sincerity or the thoroughness of your repentance. Your standing before God depends upon one thing only, and that is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. Further, the gospel of Jesus, who died for sinners, provides what John's message cannot, and that is real and lasting change. Jesus' baptism is a baptism of fire, not a baptism of water. Only it's not the fire of judgment, it's the fire of grace. Let me explain. You know the story of the prodigal, prodigal son? It's a well-known story, Luke chapter 15. A young boy wanders away from his father. He treats his father as a dead man. He asks for his inheritance, and squanders his inheritance in reckless living. It's a great offense to the father. And the boy ends up finding himself feeding the pigs. And if you're a Jewish young man, that's a big no-no. 
Do you remember the young boy's moment of repentance? It's not a great moment. Here's what he says. He says, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but here I am perishing with hunger. That's the type of repentance you get when you say, go tell your sister you're sorry, or you're going to get in trouble. That's simply repentance to save your own neck. That is not sincere repentance. That is not thorough repentance. That is lousy repentance. Our story continues. With that half-hearted repentance, the young boy heads home. And we pick up in verse 20. While he was still a long way away, his father saw and felt compassion, ran and embraced and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. But the father said to his servants, bring the best robe, put it on his finger, shoes on his feet. Let's eat and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is now alive. He was lost, but now is found. And we're led to believe that they lived happily ever after. And it was not the son's lukewarm repentance that brought lasting change. It was the abundant grace of the father that brought the lasting change. That is the fire that changed the prodigal son. The power for true change does not come for your Repentance, whether that's lukewarm repentance, whether that's sincere repentance, the fire for true and lasting change comes from the abundant grace of the Father, which for us is displayed not in the ring on the, on the finger uh, or killing the fattened calf, but the abundant grace of the Father is seen in the gift of his Son for you and me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For many of us, as we come to a conclusion, for many of us, we think of our Christian faith basically in terms of the ministry of John the Baptist. God is coming. Get ready. And I don't want to dismiss that message entirely. For some of us, we need to hear that call to repent. But I am saying that we need something more than a call to repentance if we are to have any assurance or any expectation of lasting change. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is different from and better than and more than the summons of the prophets. The gospel is an announcement. It is the announcement of good news that God has done for us which we could not do for ourselves. And in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who died for sinners, we find full assurance of pardon and the fire to produce real and lasting change.